Hello, this is Angelique with the Gaston County Public Library, and Kendall, Andrew, and I are back for another episode of We're Booked Up, a segment of the Gaston Speaks podcast where we discuss books. For this episode, we read In the Dream House, a nonfiction memoir by Carmen Maria Machado that recounts her experience as a domestic abuse survivor. As such, this book deals with some serious topics that we are in no way experts on, so take care with yourself before continuing. This discussion will have spoilers for the book. And also, a few of us are sick. That would be me. She also um, had an accident before. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just wanted to see your reaction to it. She did not pay your pay. Okay, you can cut that out. But it was funny. I did have three babies, so it's a possibility. (laughs) But I spilled my coffee down my (laughs) That's just Kendall. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We could cut that out. We don't. It's fine. I have have no beef with that. I am just feel bad for Angelique (laughs) because. It's taken us like 45 minutes to get this thing That's started. That's why I feel bad. Right. Well, we haven't seen each other in a while. Like, That's oh, really true. true. Okay. That's true. Like half of the reason we do this is to see each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, I concur. All right. Um, but first, what have we been watching or reading? You go first. Okay. Probably not much. Not much. I'm trying to remember. So I did read another book. Well, I listened to another book. I listened to The Hate You Give. Mm-hmm by Angie Thomas. It was so good. It was so good. Um, the movie's good, too. Yeah, I watched mm-hmm. the movie. I actually watched the movie before I read the book. <laughs> I know everyone's like, don't do that, but I will hate the movie otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I like the movie. The book is better. It is better, yeah. And honestly, I listened to it, and the narrator did a great job. So, big fan. Um, okay, so I, I listened to... The Hate You Give. What am I watching? My husband's finally catching up on Shit's Creek. Well, you know that's Angelique Lanza's favorite I thing know. ever. So, Well, I watched it the first, like, because of Angelique, and it was amazing. And so now I go back and watch little bits of that. And there's something that I'm watching right now on and off. I can't remember. We watch it every She-Hulk. Was it good? <laughs> I think it's just because I'm over the Marvel stuff. I think it's a fine show. I don't like the criticisms of it. I don't care when they're like, she looks at the, breaks the fourth wall. I'm like, I don't care. I think she's funny and does a great job. So does Deadpool. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. She's trying to be like Deadpool. But the thing is, Marcus tells me she's not trying to be like Deadpool because she was written in 1970s. Right. So that's not the case. (laughs) All right, Marcus is going to listen to this and be like, she explained it wrong. <laughs> okay, he Andrew. wants to come on and explain, he can. Yeah, exactly. There you go, Marcus. <laughs> oh, me. Oh, it's me. Um, So I rewatched recently The White Lotus because it won all the Emmys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still just deliciously horrible and funny. And by horrible, I mean the characters are horrible. The, the show is actually really well done. So that was it. fun to rewatch it. Um, and then, um, what am I, what am I watching? Oh, I'm I'm really just kind of gearing up for Friday because Hocus Pocus two comes out, <laughs> so I'm just kind of like I'm just like palate cleansing with like old Inagara episodes just to get ready prepared for Hocus Pocus two. So I'm really excited. So I tried to show Wyatt Hocus Pocus, and for some reason he just isn't into it, which surprises me because he loves kid macabre stuff. But he is obsessed with the zombie. He's like, when's the zombie coming, Billy? Oh, I'm like, you're missing the point. <laughs> I will say, as a child, you don't get the humor of it. As an adult, you realize how, how funny it is and how it's kind of like, like the kids don't get the humor. But, you know, when you go back, you're like, man, I'm glad I didn't get that as a kid. Because <laughs> it was kind of like, but I love it. I mean, it's funny. It's just so funny. But uh, 
you know, I was scared of it as a kid. I hate, like, I was really, like, it terrified really? me. I'm not a horror person, so, like, when, like, he pops up or when, the, and, like, it scared me. Then as an adult, then, then I was like, oh, this is actually, like, funny. This mm-hmm. is really, really funny. So, it's more um, campy than. Campy yeah, the wrong word. Campy's not no, right. campy. Campy's a good word. I think that's why it's become such a classic because it's like a camp classic. It's like fun. Yeah, it's spoopy. <laughs> it's what? Spoopy. It's spoopy. not. It's not creepy. It's not spooky. It's spoopy. <laughs> this is a word that exists outside of I'm me. I'm sure it is. I just have never heard it until like a, right now. This is not a chicken chunks moment. This is not something unique to Kendall. Okay, like, okay. <laughs> Spoopy. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Oh, no, I've never heard of that. Oh, that made my day. All right. Anyway, Angelique, what are you watching? What am I Oh, I'm on to um, YouTube again. <laughs> I just, I, I want to be on my phone mostly, like going through like social media. So I'll turn on YouTube for background noise, and it's usually car crash videos right now. That is what so is wrong dark. with you? I mean, I'm trying no, not no, to no. judge you. No, they're like dash cam videos from people's cars. So they're like seeing like idiot drivers kind of thing. Oh, okay, yeah. that's. <laughs> I'm not like watching horrific car crashes. I don't want to watch that, but like. Sitting here, I'm like, that's a level to you. I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it and it kind of makes you like back up the chair. Like, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know something. I watch. I forgot to mention. I watched the Bob's Burgers movie, and if it's you a are movie? a Bob's Burgers fan, that movie is fun. That was what I was gonna say, and then I forgot, and then we went off on Spoopy, and I got distracted. Andrew, I'm gonna need you to make me some hamburgers from the Bob's Burger Cookbook. Oh yeah, and I, they actually look good. Like they some do. of those burgers, like when you see his like daily specials or whatever, they look fun. <laughs> are you okay. My glasses are so dirty, oh, okay. especially after the coffee incident. <laughs> oh, <it's not> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Why is that so loud? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, there was like a smudge right where your face uh, face goes from this angle on my glasses, and so it was like you were spoopy. Yes. Uh, Moving along. (laughs) Moving on. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. She's forty-five minutes later. (laughs) Sorry, audience. All right. So I'll read the synopsis first, and I just want to point out that Kindle does have a different book again. Do I really? Yeah, you do. I mean, yes. you have the hardback. It might, oh. so it might be a different like synopsis. I'll read along. If... Let's find out. <laughs> Hang on, this is laughing is making me have to cough. <laughs> okay. All right. Carmen Maria Machado's prismatic revolutionary memoir is an electrifying account of a relationship gone bad and a bold dissection of the mechanisms and cultural representations of psychological abuse. Each chapter is driven by its own narrative trope: the haunted house, erotica. The Bildungsroman, through which Machado holds her story up to the light while also casting a critical eye over legal proceedings, fairy tales, iconic works of film and fiction, and a broad swath of queer history. And the dream house explodes our ideas about the, what a memoir can do and be. Was that the same? Parts of it. <laughs> Parts of it? Are you sure? Cause... Okay, you read along while I read. <laughs> okay. You ready? Okay. okay. All right. Sorry, th- let me just put the paper towels on the ground. <laughs> Prismatic, engrossing, and wildly inventive. In the dream house is Carmen Maria Machado's account of a relationship gone bad and a bold dissection of mechanisms and cultural representations of psychological abuse. Oh, that made me sound like I was making fun of psychological abuse. I'm sorry, I'm not. 
Machado traces the full arc of a harrowing relationship with a charismatic but volatile woman and struggles to make sense of how what happened for her shaped the person she was becoming. Each chapter in this inventive memoir is driven by its own narrative trope. The haunted house, erotica, what is this? This The Bildungsroman? Bildungsroman. I had to look up what that word meant. <laughs> Through which Machado holds up her story to the light and examines it from different angles. She considers her religious adolescence, unpacks the stereotype of lesbian relationships as safe and utopian, and widens the view with essayistic explorations of the history and reality. Reality. <laughs> I don't know why I said that weird. In reality of abuse and queer relationships. Machado's dire narrative is leavened. Leavened? Is that in your Leavened. No, leavened's not in here. It's different. So it really is different yeah. this time. Leavened with her characteristic wit, playfulness, and openness to inquiry, she casts a critical eye over the legal proceedings, fairy tales, Star Trek, and Disney villains, as well as iconic works of film and fiction. The result is a wrenching, riveting v- book that explodes explodes our ideas about what a memoir can do and be. It doesn't say explores. It says explodes. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't mess that up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Clarification. Oh, it does say explodes. Maybe I just misread it. <laughs> Did you say explode or explodes? I, I didn't hear. I was too, like, trying to catch up with where you were because bits of it are exactly the same and yeah. bits of it are very... Well, it says explodes on here. So if I said explodes, that's right. Okay. So it was different. Yeah, oh, it's longer too. <laughs> okay, you're one and one. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> one and two. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> Math is not my strong suit. So. If you're gonna make fun of me, do it well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we will move on to ratings, and we'll start with Kendall. Four, but I'm never gonna read it again. Ditto. Yeah, same. Ditto. Really? Yeah. Across the Maybe board? four and a half, but yeah. You have to explain some stuff to me for me to make it a four and a half, which I will raise it if I understand it better. Well, it's like, I always say that about movies. There have been certain movies where, like, uh, remember the movie Precious? The Monique and Gabby said, yes. absolutely brilliantly done. We'll never watch it again. <laughs> We're not laughing about Precious. We're laughing at Kendall. <laughs> It's not her day. It's not her day. We're happy she's here, though. No, we are. We, I'm sick, and yeah. it's very apparent. Oh. Anyway. No, you're good. I'm sorry. Precious. That, that was, the, it's very, I mean, there's there's the whole abuse aspect of it, and that one, of course, is both physical and multiple layers, but um, it's the same thing. It's like, what? I just realized I could hear myself breathing, and I look back, and I'm just like, and she's leaned back so far away from the don't, mic. Don't worry about your breathing. I actually cut that out. Okay, Andrew, you were talking about Precious and how there is physical and psychological abuse. No, I was just saying that it's the same thing. It's like I, I saw the movie. I understand why it was successful. I you know, hooped and hollered when Monique won her Oscar because, oh, my God, does she deserve it. I will never watch that movie again. And that's how I feel about this. It's like you need to read it because mm-hmm. I think it's important. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that it's also groundbreaking in a lot of ways, just in the way that it's written, you know, Um but yeah, it's it's also hard. It's 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 perfect for October because it really is a horror book mm-hmm. in in a way that that J D. Barker and James Patterson, mm-hmm. God love them, they need to read. They need to they they will never capture the same. They try to do a horror book, but they will never capture the horror that that Carmen does in this yeah in this book. So mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I kind of I read the synopsis that you had, Angelique, that was less descriptive. Mm-hmm. The if I had read the synopsis in my own book, I would have had a better understanding of what I was getting into going in. Because I thought, 
Okay, so when they were saying, like, this is being presented with horror themes, I thought she was going to be a little bit more narrow, like, more narrative. More of a narrative, yeah. Yeah. More narrative with it, unless, like, it's almost like journal entries and it splices through time and there's a lot of history in there that I wasn't expecting, which had I read my own description, (laughs) I would have known was coming. (laughs) If I, she then said it at the end, like, there is no real definitive book about abuse between women in a relationship and like this isn't by like that this book isn't that this isn't the first one but let it be like a a loose guideline for future ones and Mm -hmm. she like even gave her resources which i really appreciate her um did y'all read the footnotes Mm -hmm. they were fantastic they were they were fantastic because most footnotes are just you know i I, and a lot of hers were just i'm just citing this source Mm -hmm. you know which is great but she went into some really interesting detail with the footnotes that did give you that historical perspective of how we, how basically she led up to this story needs to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so this is one of those, if you do read it, don't skip the footnotes just because it makes the page shorter. <laughs> like, That's a great recommendation. Read the footnotes because yeah. there's some really interesting, especially as a history major, there's some really interesting stuff in those in those. Um, sources so yeah so i guess what i was really trying to say was i was expecting it to be narrative i thought it was going to be more of like her personal experience as opposed this was a little bit more clinical more removed she had footnotes to her own journal entries or whatever and so um it was a little more clinical and i think that's actually the way the book needs to be because then it doesn't suck us into experiencing and reliving her trauma which no one needs including her yeah and instead is like eye-opening this is spreading awareness and this book spreads awareness without spreading that um tra- more traumatizing events what's the term um and, and it, it sounds bad but it's called tragedy porn yeah where, where trauma porn is what yeah I wrote down yeah in my notes. but they they you know they they really double down on someone's I feel like a lot of like YA books do that yeah you know they it's can. like let's find everything that we can throw at this one person that, oh, yeah. would, that would cause them to be, you know, they're this and they're that and they're, they're everything. And it's almost, it just gets to the point where it's like, it's like, I, I, I can't, I can't get through this. And this one I could get through because you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't do that. And and thank God because, ugh. I know. You know, I mean, if she wanted to tell her story fully and she wanted to do it, she has every right to mm-hmm. because That's we her know story. it's her story. But I, I do think that she understands that you know, she's talked about at the end of the book that she still has those moments, you know, where she thinks about it. So it's still traumatizing to her. So why why bring that up? And instead, you know, let's let's find a way to make this something that can be a tool for people moving forward so that they can do better than I did. Yes, I agree. So, Andrew, um, the, what I thought about um, was there is a director in theater his name was Bertolt Brecht, mm-hmm. and his whole thing, I'm going to misquote this, misrepresent it, whatever, come for me, theater people, it's fine. <laughs> um, but his whole thing was he did not think that theater should be a cathartic experience. Mm-hmm. He didn't want you to come in and feel what the actors were feeling because once you you go in, you feel it, you complete that emotion, and you go home. He wanted theater to stay with you and be, like teach you something. Like You need to leave with something to think about. So that's where you get, like, a lot of the removal of um, realistic sets 
and you get lights that you can see and, you know, that kind of black box theater vibe where you're not sucked into the world because he wants you to pay attention to what's happening. And that's what I kept thinking is like she wants us to see what this is like. And I still think that there's probably I mean, she didn't mention I still think there's some catharsis for her in doing it, but doing it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, I'm just going to just put all my anger out on the page. Again, if she wants to, she deserves to, because, geez. Yeah. I mean, oh. But, um, you know, finding a way to make it cathartic as well as, you know, a lesson. And I think that that's, I, I like that approach. I think that's why it was so well-reviewed and so, you know, hailed as, as different, because it, it does have the, the audacity to say, let's let's figure out a way to, understand the history of where we come from and how to move forward with mm-hmm. it. And even like the ending, she's like, there's never really an ending. I'm Mm-mm. choosing to end it here. So we know that she still thinks about this. We know that there may be more stories to come and yeah. more she, you know, I mean, cause a lot of this, I'm sure there's stuff that's blacked out of her mind. Some of the worst, you know, sometimes that happens where people can't remember stuff because their mind has literally like mm-hmm. yeah, pulled it into it that. Out, yeah. So it will be interesting to see where she, I don't know if she's written anything since then. Do we know? Does she? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I think this came, came out in 2019. Yeah, so it's not been too long. And I have a feeling through, throughout the book that it took her a while to write it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's going to um, just be in the process of writing something. But it'd be interesting. She says, this is where I choose to end it. Good for you. Yeah, I, li- I like that. That's that's a, There's a strength in that. That, mm-hmm. that is, um, you know, I've said my piece and now I'm done. And, and, and I like that. But you never know. You never know what stories are going to come next. She She's... Uh, her writing style, her her ability to to put stuff together, she she is an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see if she. I think she's done some maybe some fiction. I'd love to read a fiction book of hers because I think that'd be interesting. What do you think, Angelique? Um, I like her writing. That's part of the reason I rated it for an four point five because I like her writing. I think she did well, and I think she used like the tropes that she was pointing out very well. Mm-hmm. And I think she brought it all together at the end mm-hmm. so and her really knowledge her. her yeah i mean i know she did research i know she didn't she didn't just know all these things but her ability to jump from you know gaslight the 1940 you know 40s film yeah. which is brilliant by the way if you've never seen it to greek mythology to you know like her her I had ability to look up the Bluebeard story did yeah. you guys know that i think i was vaguely familiar with it i didn't, I didn't look it up i should have because i wanted to that's um, a horrific story yeah. it is but her ability to blend all that together with the pop culture and the historical mm-hmm. references, that you're right, that in the middle of this horror, that kept me in it as someone who is a pop culture enthusiast, who who has a degree in history, who loves it, who grew up with it, um, learning it. And so her ability to do that, it didn't I, I would not say it took you away from the horrificness. Is that a word? Horrificness? I'm gonna pretend it, like it be, is. Yeah. Okay. It but it, voted but it, it in. We voted it in. I liked it. I like it. But it it, it did give you I don't know it just it, it made it I think it made it more lyrical I made it more it it, it flow the flow made it work better because it was it, giving you all these metaphors and maybe some people might say it's too many metaphors but I don't think it was I think that she had one metaphor and she pulled it I don't know what I'm saying yeah I've lost my train of thought but anyway <laughs> someone's like gonna the need references. to oh good I like the references too I think it added layer and depth to her as a person like it's sometimes really easy to cast people as two-dimensional, like, oh, she's an abuser, she's an abused person, like, 
you create these stereotypes in your mind. And she's like, no, I'm actually a full-fledged human being. And here, like, it, it adds substance and texture, which is really nice. But y- y'all are going to have to explain some of the uh, metaphors to me. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. throughout the dream house, like, she was talking about the dream house, the place, but then the dream house also not as a place, which I get because that's where memories yeah, she talk, was talking about mem- where memories were hidden and yeah. you don't talk about. But then I would I would struggle like, okay, I don't understand how the dream house is a metaphor for Bill. Bill Dung's Ramon. There we go. Like, I understood the chapter, but yeah. I don't understand that metaphor. Like, I feel like that's something that's just above my head. <laughs> I'm trying to. Well, I mean, Bill Dung's Ramon is a coming of age story and usually come of age in one place. Right? Like in a dream house. Is it a coming of age? I thought when I looked it up, it was like... It's usually a coming of age. Like a, sort of. We're going to Google it real quick. Because I looked <laughs> it right. up and it was like religious. You know, the, I, I, she does, the, the idea of the house being multiple things. I remember when I was in college, I took an English class and it was uh, it was just called Great American Authors. But the teacher, could yeah. do, the professor could do whatever they wanted to with it. And they did, it was a slave literature course. One of the ones we read was Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is very problematic, obviously, yeah. and, and we look back at now. But that was one of the things that this professor who I love, trains, May Henderson, I don't know if she's still teaching in Carolina, but um, it was about how each of the houses represented like changes in the chat. Like the, the descriptions of the house actually lent itself into the mood of what was going on or the characters that it represented. Yeah. So I do kind of get the idea of the houses. So basically I think she's just – Something about that house connects it to everything. So that was where she came of age in the sense of she discovered who she was. She did, oh, she okay. was the first time that she maybe felt like this was it. This was the future, only to realize, of course, that it wasn't. I don't know. I, th- I just think that the house just and serves became it. more of a prison. Okay. Yeah. Nope. I see it, and that adds a beautiful layer that I didn't get before. <laughs> yeah. And you were correct, Angelique. It's a novel dealing with one person's formative years of spirit or spiritual education. And she did go back and talk about her religious growth too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I feel like were you finished answering the question about? Yeah. Like you got interrupted. I feel like I got sidetracked. Um. So let's just move on to the questions I do have. Yeah. I, w- I told Andrew that it was kind of difficult to come up with questions for this mm-hmm. book because of the nature of the book itself because it's a memoir and you don't want to be like, can you relate to this? Especially this because you yeah. don't want to talk about that in a podcast for a library. It's hard to make jokes about something yeah. so serious. Yeah. yeah. No. Not our place. No. Alright. So the first one I came up with was, um, or I found it somewhere. Why do you think the author chose to write this memoir? Why do you think she chose to write? I think we kind of covered it, but who wants to go first? Well, I, th- I think we did. We talked about how she wanted this to not just be a memoir of abuse, but yeah. a way to frame it in 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 history, and as a well as well as, as well as a way to um, give maybe someone who's going through it the keys, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and make it make people understand why these things happen, why these things are ignored. You know, she talks about the historical context of being ignored. Um, But I think that if you're going through it, understanding that you're not alone, understanding that there's a history of this, it's a recent history in terms of actually dealing with it. Um, But to make it more of something that, that, a a toolbox, if you will, for people moving forward of how to, not necessarily how to deal with it, but how to understand it, I think. I think... 
Yes, I agree. No, I'm I'm not, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to acknowledge what you said, and no. I agree with that a hundred percent. And I also I also think that it is about showing that I lost my train of thought. Oh my god, no, it's coming back. It's coming back. It is also about how um, universal being in a um, high control relationship is that yeah. it can happen between two women and it isn't just like you don't have to ascribe one of them being male and one of them being female and therefore one of them not having as much credence yeah. like you're allowed to treat these as two people and they're in a relationship and there are wonderful things about the relationship that absolutely makes sense as to why someone would stay because you're sucked in and in love and you get love bombed and that's that yeah. the high control person creates this world that only that high control person can build for you or make you makes the abused individual feel like that can happen with anyone in between any other people and any, yeah. any, any romantic or really sexual bad. relationship there's any relationship in general period, like familial yeah. friends mm-hmm. yeah yeah um people are i people. think you're right the universality of it is really because yeah. it could it could totally be seen as like a niche this is about this type this community and it's about these these types of people no it, it she really connects it to a greater conversation about abuse in relationships yeah. mm-hmm. and makes you understand that's why this is important. You have to understand it outside of, because she talks about all those cases of prosecutors didn't know how to prosecute. Mm-hmm. Juries didn't know how to understand yeah. things because they didn't understand it from the perspective of a queer couple. And it's like, so she's like, forget all of that. It doesn't, it, not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, she understands the history of that, but her basic point is it's abuse no matter what. Yeah. Why does it have to, why do we have to, create its own thing of oh it's this type of abuse no it's the same type of abuse that any of these other women or men have Mm -hmm. suffered over the years um from like you said any relationship yeah um and i think that that's a really important point that people miss it shouldn't matter yeah don't ignore it yeah right and thank you for saying what i was trying to say much better oh i I didn't mean to i'm sorry (laughs) no i'm really glad because i was like struggling I was struggling, and I appreciate you stepping in there. I think that was thank you. Don't make that face. I really meant it. Like, oh, okay. it's a genuine no, no, thank I, you. No, I just, but I also didn't want to be like you know bulldoze. I did not want to be you know the controller in no. the in the thing. I needed it. I was struggling. I couldn't get my words out. Anyway, so that's I think that's like the broader reason why she wrote it. Wrote it. I think. Maybe for like more a more personal reason because she talks about controlling the story or like who controls the story mm-hmm. when she talks about archives in the prologue. And I think she wanted to get out her story because she said she still has friends or people she knows who know both of them that don't really believe or don't really um, recognize that that her relationship was abusive. Oh yeah, because she had no bruises. Yeah, she had no proof. Like psychological abuse yeah. is still real yeah. abuse. That yeah. one, that is towards the end. That chapter hit me where she was like, "I wish she had just hit me. I oh, wish I had yeah. bruises." Yeah, she's like, and she knows that that sounds crazy because people who are getting physically abused yeah. are like, "Please, oh, for the, I would, you know, I would give anything in the world to stop getting physically abused." But then it's like, but she's like, but then maybe people would believe me because. When you have the physical scars, then it's like, oh, now I know, and mm-hmm. people don't believe you unless they can see it. Yeah, you know that was that was like, oh. Mm-hmm. So I know. think this is like an effort from her to like put her evidence out there that she has, 
you know, even if it's not something you can touch or see like that. Like, this is what happened to me. This is my story. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Next question. Why do you think Machado chose to write mostly in second person? Which normally? Yeah. Same. Yeah. I didn't, I it took me a while to notice it was second person, honestly. It was so metaphorical and it was so universal that I think that that's why she chose it. She didn't want it to be me. Mm-hmm. She didn't want it to seem like it was a third person thing. And second person you is kind of universal. Yeah. It could be her. It could be anyone that she's talking to. Yeah. So normally I hate it because it's just it's just annoying. I mean, the, the, the style is just, mm-hmm. I'm like, stop. But in this case, because she didn't, she made it so... I don't know. She made it so clear that this is something that happens to everyone. It could happen to you. To mm-hmm. yeah. you. And if this yeah. is happening to you, then this story, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to make it about, I think she just didn't want to make it about her. Yeah. But she also didn't want third person is so distant. And yeah. so this was that happy medium and it worked. This is the first probably second person thing that I've read that I didn't really struggle through Same. in terms of its writing style. Well, if you even go back to the dedication, it says, if, you're reading this book it is for you yeah. yeah and i i think that goes back to the idea that a lot of people don't think this won't happen or a lot of people think this won't ha- this couldn't happen to me i would see it coming a mile away i'm way too smart for this i know what abuse looks like and until it's happened to you you really don't no no you really don't Mm-mm. very true um it helps her it helps her message of universality it really does yeah. That was very insightful, Angelique. I know. Thanks. I was You're all worried about. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was reading this book. I'm like, oh, maybe I was an English major. I didn't just like coast my way through. <laughs> like this one over here. You were just talking about some obscure theater dude who's probably not obscure to theater people. So. And it also might be wrong. <laughs> it made sense though. Well, we'll Google him later. You know, sometimes if you're using a metaphor, it's for you, (laughs) whether it's right or not. We're just going to take her words and say whether it was the right metaphor or not, it worked. And so there um, we go. It's also your interpretation of him. There we go. Thank you, Andrew. (laughs) The dream house is a theater experience. I don't want to see it. I don't either. (laughs) God. Mm -mm. No offense, Carmen. We 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 uh, we're we again. It's not because we don't really respect what you did thank you for sharing thank you yeah. for sharing and, and and again i would encourage there are movies and there are books like that there are story plays like that you have to see it you have to read it even if it's hard yeah you can't stop talking about it yeah but it doesn't mean you have to keep revisiting it you know you usually ask a question who do you recommend this book for and yeah. that's tricky because if you're yeah. looking for a fun easy read this is not your book no. but you know who should read it every student in high school yes Mm-hmm. Yes. Every yes. student. This needs to be high school literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least college. Should be like. I I hear that, but I think high no. school because this but I think this I started in college. Yeah. It, so there's some graphic moments. Yes. But you know what? I am of the personal opinion, and you don't have to share it. That graphic moments happen to high school kids. Yeah, yeah. they do. And the idea that you're gonna just not talk about it, I think it reinforces the idea that. The high school kids aren't experiencing it or should be experiencing it. They don't have the full frontal cortex to understand what's happening to them. That's true. You need an adult to come in and have that conversation. 
So, you know, it's like, what's that TV show, Euphoria, which mm-hmm. I think do, does Ooh, verge yeah. very much into trauma porn, way too much. But I think there's a reason why it is so stinking popular. And it's because while it does go overboard most of the mm-hmm. time, while it does verge way, especially with Rue's character, so much into tragedy or trauma porn. Um, I think, though, the reason people are into it is because there are people who see themselves, at least maybe not to the to the dramatic extremes of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, I did drugs in high school. Yeah. Yeah, I had these issues in high school. Yeah. Did, you know, um, and, and so you're right. It, it's, it is a story. Maybe it's a story that needs to be told whether people want to hear it or not. Yeah, and if you can read Chaucer's The Woman in Bath, oh yeah, yeah, you can read this. True, you know, like I, I, I think it should be read in high school, but yeah, or and studied in college. Yeah, yeah. But let's say none of us are in college. You know, we're all in our thirties. Yeah, I would recommend this for any any anybody who, you know, it's funny. We went. I went last week to see Beth Macy at Gaston College. She was talking about her new book, Raising Lazarus. She wrote the book, Dope Sick. Which became, yes. which is a brilliant series. We talked about in our Emmys podcast. Michael Keaton did win. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it won, I think, for cinematography. So it's an Emmy award winning series. I would totally recommend it on Hulu. If we could ever get it here, I would order copies because it's so important. Raising Lazarus talks about it's kind of like how do we get to a solution? And actually, our own Gaston people in Gaston County are mentioned in the book, which is why she came here. Yeah, the um, Olive, Olive Branch, Branch Ministry. Yeah, uh, Michelle and her team are mentioned. Side note that staff development day that we had that all of. Branch, that completely changed my entire perspective and understanding of addiction. And I know it's rampant in our county. It is. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. But I like how she approaches it of, yeah, you don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't want to hear about harm reduction. You know, Michelle and her team started doing harm reduction when it was illegal to do so. You know, I mean, yeah, they were slipping clean needles into lunches and stuff because they understood the point of it. And people go, oh, you're just giving drug dealers. Yeah, that's the stigma of it. And that's what she talks about. She says, you can be sitting in a room and you have the hippy-dippies and the people in the Trump hats. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, your political persuasion. We are all getting addicted. And we all need to be a part of the solution. They talk about the religious aspect of it. They think bringing pastors in. I was sitting down the row from a pastor at a local church who was, you know, she, he's very vocal and he's a really great guy. And he, you know, when they when she starts telling these stories of like, oh, she's been five months over here, I'm saying, praise Christ, you know, because mm-hmm. he's understanding the importance of it and, and getting law enforcement, getting Chief Ramey to sit up there and talk about it. And, and But Beth talks about it in a way that I think Carmen talks about it is we all need to understand why this is important. Yeah. Because it is affecting us. She said, what, one in three people are directly affected by it. Like they have a family member or a friend who's an addiction. But, but I, I would argue everyone somehow is affected by it yeah. you know mm-hmm. we talk yeah. about you know the the austin chaudry and his parents the they do the the remembering austin on the yes. thing and they are huge a part of this you know mom taught him at south point absolutely adored him wrote his letter for carolina and so even if it's one of those oh. things where it's like okay i didn't know austin personally you know but there you are connected somehow to everyone we all need to remember austin because we all have an austin in our lives we probably all have a carmen in our lives too dude so Oh my God, yes, to just everything you just said. But also, this is coming from people who hate message books. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I just assumed you agreed. I'm sorry, Angelique. No. <laughs> sorry. But 
I will speak for me as someone who kind of gags at don't tell me like what to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of like in Lost, the John John Locke, don't tell me what I can't do. Yes, like, exactly. Um, but no, this book needs to be read. This message needs to get out. Because because of its universality. Mm-hmm. Because of it, of what it, it it represents, so yeah, that's just it was just interesting. We literally had I had Beth Macy last week in this, and that brutal honesty, you know, she's saying four letter words and gassing, you know, and and you could tell some people are, but she's like, we have we have to get over that stigma. We have to figure out how what we can do to learn our lesson and to move forward from it. And that's exactly I think what Carmen's. I don't think she's preaching. Mm-mm. That's why I like preaching. that. I don't Mm-mm. think Beth Macy. I mean, Beth Macy is very. I, I would argue that she is preaching, but the way that she does it is by simply telling these stories. Vocal and preaching are different. Very different, yeah. yeah. And it's it's. She's not. She said, "I'm telling you these stories, kind of like Carmen's telling you these stories, not to to tell you what to believe, but to help you understand what's happening." Mm-hmm. And her story. And then when you get to them, and you're like gut punched. Because the stories are real. These are things that are happening. There are people being abused every day. There are people living on the side of the road who are so addicted that they've lost their kids and their house. And we have to tell these stories because if we tell the stories, there's a better chance that someone. Every, we're all going to get together and say, we need these stories to end. Ooh. And all the shades in between, too. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm. so, so it's just, yeah, she, um, you're right. I hate message books. Yeah. Because I'm, I, I feel like, okay, I'm college educated. I'm, I'm smart enough to figure out what I believe on my own. I don't need someone to tell me. But um, she did it in a really, really good way. I, I, and I would even argue maybe it's not a message book. I think it's just a personal story yeah. and, a personal, and, and a historical narrative of how her story fits into it. And lets Ooh. you decide... I don't ever plan things. This just comes out of my head. And then today they'll be like, you know, what's your name? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like it, it'll be gone. This is this is gold gym, and then it'll it'll be the rest of the day. I'll just be mush. So, well, it comes and goes. Thanks for bringing it to the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure your staff Sorry, will that's... appreciate you not bringing it to. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds like I was tooting my horn. I'm just saying, it's um, sometimes I'm like, oh, that did come out, and then later I'm like, they're like, you know, what day is it? And I'm like, I don't, you know, November is it November yet? Because I don't know. <laughs> November what, day. Yes. So, um, yeah, it it it's so fleeting <laughs> when it happens. No, I'm impressed. I I not well. I know you're smart. But we are all very smart. Angelique's the smartest. Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. We found that out when we took our MAT. We took a test, and it has been proven. She's we, been tested. We, but she's the, in the gifted program. What is that from? Oh, well, the she's been tested. I was making a joke about Big Bang Theory, but now oh, that yeah, I've been yeah. explained it, now that I've been explained, now that I have explained it, I don't know if it's funny. What is Mine's from something different. I don't remember. But Y'all yeah. watch too much TV. We really do. Why do you think you're smarter than we are? Yeah, our I watch mush. car crash videos on YouTube. <laughs> is that how you balance out your life? Gosh. We're watching old reruns of sitcoms. I spent my Saturday watching Vicki Lawrence do Mama's Family from like 1986. I love Mama's Family. It was great, but I'm like, that's, I need that nostalgia. And you're over here like, you know, dark and brooding and (laughs) studying the analytics of, it's just crazy. Murder bot. Murder bot. (laughs) What's the next question? All right. Let's see. No response. Murder bot. That's a response. (laughs) You're looking at me and I don't like it. Her visor is. Her visor is up. She's watching that show. Yeah. Oh. Um, let's see, which one do I want to do? Uh, what did you think of the perspective she shared on the etymology of the word archive being house of the ruler in the prologue? 
genius. Yeah. Because they're the person who controls the narrative. Yeah. So History I'm, is told uh, by the victors. Exactly. And that is the truth. It is. It, it is told by those who have won. It makes it sound like the people who won't weren't the quote unquote victors, their story doesn't have value. Exactly. Yeah. And for a long time, it hasn't. And it's still, in many cases, people don't want to hear those stories. So this woman, in many ways, had victory over her. And it's some sick, twisted, controlling thing. And so, yeah. And that's why her friends don't believe it. Because, yeah. Because, because she's the dominant. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I just got excited because she got excited. I had a thought. Oh, no, you think <laughs> it. Because you think it. I can. I will trail off forever. Okay. You think your thought out loud. So, so... She's obviously the the survivor, the victim of the abuse. So she's like not the the house of the ruler, but at the same time, I think that this book is her victory. Well, like, that makes me want to cry. Like no. <laughs> Reclaiming like, the narrative. Yeah, she got out, and this is her narrative. This is her victory. Yeah. So. I like it. She's the ruler of the story now. She says like five words when I say five hundred, and it sounds so much better. I should, I should, I should learn. This is why when we wrote papers in grad school, <laughs> I would she would take like a twenty-six page paper, make it five pages, and actually sound good. At least she, you say five hundred words. That makes sense. <laughs> I say five hundred words that are like like babble, like baby babble. But she, but you're right. I think that this is a whole another reason to read this is she's from two marginalized communities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. two marginalized communities three. that three. That's correct. Women. We could probably keep adding those oh, intersectionalities. Sure, yeah. 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 But yeah. Um uh so it's yeah, you're right, three. Excuse me. hundred percent right. And and so being able to to tell that story is is and it's again by making it a part of a history, she's reclaiming the entire narrative from a community that has been ignored in this circumstance. Yeah. So so it's just it's a double, triple, quadruple whammy of of breaking that stereotype of archive as as the as yeah. the ruler, yeah. So. Well, and also, it kind of hits you as a librarian about the house of the ruler thing. Dang it, Angelique! Go ahead, keep going. No, <laughs> no, that's all I have to say about that. That it does kind of hit you as a librarian. Now, what were you gonna say? What? Sometimes I wonder, and I feel guilty, and not guilty, but like as the librarians, like we help. Con- it's, this is a weird thing to say because we're all about access free yeah. access to everything like yeah. i'm not i am never going to deny you something you want yeah uh, unless people above me tell me i can't but i'm going to work <laughs> right, right. even if that's the case i'll give you an amazon link yeah like i'm not going to die and deny you the information yeah. but we help shape the narrative of what people yeah. are exposed to yeah <sighs> hashtag banned books week yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean if we don't order these books which we did we had it before we we yeah, ordered extra yeah. copies so we had to read it but we had this this book since it was released um if we don't order those books if we don't put them on our shelves if we don't display them if we don't do any of those things then the narrative will be whatever the dominant narrative is yeah um and we have to be now we still have to have that dominant narrative in our collection because we do have to represent all sides yeah mm-hmm. but i think it's important to make sure that that this perspective is also a part of that story it's it's strange to be the person who is the archivist and also the person who's trying to represent the other stories. That is a weird dichotomy yeah, that librarians is. have to play. When people ask, you know, like you you have to be offended by something in the library. Yeah. And they mean they're like does that mean you order books that you don't agree with? All yeah, the time, every All day. Time. But that's okay. I don't have to agree with them. This that story needs to be told just as much as whatever my story is. Mhm. Um 
I think that what the, the, the deal that she's making here is that this story wasn't told or it was torn it told in, in bits yeah. and pieces. And it was told with kind of BS, you know, background to it. This was a story that needed to be told. So it's just as important as the traditional, a man beats his wife. Yeah. That story needs to be told too. We need to talk about that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, this is an interesting twist on it that she makes very clear. You don't know about this. Because yeah. we've hidden or we've written off that history or we've, we've uh, what's the term? Rationalized that history. I think mm. it's the term that I'm, I'm looking for. I'm now thinking, because you said about breaking down the stories, made me think about how when she was in school and she was writing and the critique she got was that her stories were all broken down. Mm-hmm. And the quote she said is, I broke the stories down because I was breaking down and I didn't know what else to do. And so I think also to go back to your previous question in this moment, I'm realizing breaking down the stories. Yes, it was about owning her own narrative, but I think it's also about helping her cope because now she can put all of those bits and pieces together and rebuild herself. And how, so spoiler, we said spoilers. How cool is it that she marries the woman who was the other end of that relationship when they first started and knowing that they found each other in that, you know, part of that story is I think one of the reasons she was able to heal because she wasn't alone because obviously yeah. someone heard what, her. They her listened. Val. Val. Thank Val. you. Yes. But Val knew too. Val knew. Yeah. Val probably went through it. They didn't really dive into that, but I'm sure Val went through it. Oh, there was of course a mentioning they of did it. because yeah. at the end right, when right. Um, Carmen was like, I can't believe that we, or that you guys were in an open relationship before and that you would even accept me in. And she was like, I had no choice. Slash what? Yeah. She, the Val was never in an open relationship yeah. with the girlfriend, the right. she character, who could also be anyone. Yeah. 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 So it was that. But I love that that's how that story didn't end. Remember, the story doesn't end. She chose, she chose to end it, but it's never really over. But I love that that is the... The, the end result of that, because I think it helps with the catharsis and it also helps with the idea of you are not alone. I found the person who understood what I was going through. Someone else can like live your story, too. Right. Because I had those friends who wouldn't believe me, maybe still don't believe her. Even after this story, there I'm sure there are some who say you're just being dramatic or whatever it is. So how do you get out of that? You get out of that by finding the person who understands you best. Yeah. Yeah. And and what a cool story for them to end on, this this horror. Not that it ever ends, but if to you're going to be to move on, yeah. Next yeah. step, go through whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. it is they yeah. did. Uh, all right. Are there any um, moments or quotes that kind of stood out to you? So I know I just read that quote, mm-hmm. and that was the only one I wrote down. But mm-hmm. the she used a lot of imagery of her watching and it made me it gave me the feeling that she often felt removed from herself during mm-hmm. this process i i don't remember if she ever said that but it i gave me the feeling like after one of the incidents when they were doing a cross country drive which okay side note what kind of car does she drive that hasn't like broken down a million times but does that many cross country trips cuz she goes to chicago and florida also New York. i hate driving Book a plane. Like, why Why are you constantly driving with this she woman? She listens to audiobooks. Come on. You can listen to audiobooks on a plane. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> Just saying. Anyway, the imagery. So, like, it was after she 
the girlfriend took the keys and drove and mm. the Carmen was so scared during mm-hmm. the whole drive home. Yeah. And she got home and she sat down in her yard. She didn't go inside at 4 a.m. even though she was exhausted and terrified. She sat and then she watched like coyotes in her front yard. Like that imagery stuck with me. And then later her watching the fire. It's like she was watching the f- forestry of her life at the time that she was going through it and then watching the fire purify it and burn yeah. it all down. Yeah. That's what I got. You know, you talk about the driving and we make the joke of why don't you fly? But, you know, in a lot of cases driving is casinos cathartic. A lot of people love to drive and listen to music or something to like, it's like a, it is like a catharsis for some people. Do you know why? Your brain actually uh, transitions into a different focus when you drive. Oh. And it allows people to engage different parts of their brain. Oh, see? You learn something new every day. I remember that movie Gravity where, and I, and I love that movie. People, what I hate about that Intense. whole story is that people are like, oh, there was no story. You know, I didn't care about the character. I'm like, how could you not? They give you just, they give you little bits and pieces, but the bit piece was after the daughter died, she wouldn't go home. She would just drive and drive and drive. So maybe one of the reasons that she focuses so much on, maybe it was a different car. She didn't mention that. Maybe, it was, maybe she got a new car at some point. But she she mentions that's because that should be this catharsis. We're going on this great trip, and it became yet another, not a dream house, but the dream car. It became that that another yeah. prison that, that yeah. her girlfriend was able to trap her in. Um, I know. I am just, let me tell you something. I, I, I don't know what's going on. It's that bang energy drink I had. Bang. That stuff is terrible for you. Do not drink that. I it am not endorsing. It's really bad for you. Yeah, I know. Okay, I worry for your health. I'll Love be you. fine. Okay. Wait, why is it really bad for you? The energy drinks? Yeah. They, it's no sugar. They do something. It's not just the sugar. That does something to your blood, I guess, because it's like dehydrating. Yeah. And if you drink too many in a day, like it can give you like heart issues. Oh, because well, of, I'm like, fat, so I already have heart issues. Well, fine. I don't need you to make them worse. I don't do it every day. Jeez. Okay, fine. Mom. <laughs> I was just thinking you were going to call me mom and then you did. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So I liked the one. I'm, I'm stealing Kindle's That's book. That's fine. But I, one of the one funny parts, because it's not really funny, but there yeah. are some interesting ones. I loved. Um, okay, now I'm just making noise. I forgot how many pages there were. <laughs> I like the the first one, which is the uh, is she says I never read prologues. I find them tedious. If what if what the author has to say is so important, why relegate it to the paratext? What are you trying to hide? And I don't know why. I just that was the first thing that you read, and I was like, oh, that's clever. And you're like, I hate prologues. I don't ever read pro. I should. I also don't like prologues. I don't like prologues. And then she goes into Dreamhouse as a prologue, but it's it's in mm-hmm. an ironic way. And I was mm-hmm. like, that was that was one of those where it's like from that moment, I'm like, I'm gonna like this book. Not in terms of the subject matter, but I'm going to like the yeah. writing style of this book because she also has her own, I, I say sense of humor, but not in the way of, obviously this isn't funny, but she has her own, she understands her own tropes. Yeah. And she's willing to play on those, which of course then she does over and over and over and over again. I think it's okay that there's funny in there because two opposite things can exist at the same time. Very true. The girlfriend can be a lovely human with other people and also be terrorizing Carmen at home. Right. Yeah, both of those things can be true. Yes, Carmen also though does another thing that struck me was she does give at least enough background where she talks about how the dream house woman would literally black out and mm. wouldn't remember. She talks about that there was a scene where she's with her family and Carmen's not there, and you hear the father screaming and abusing her. I know. And so you realize it doesn't excuse what the woman did, but it also explains why maybe there's 
it's generational trauma. She doesn't understand a healthy relationship because her father was abusive to her mother. Mm-hmm. She gets so she has such psychological issues herself. She can't even remember when she's done these horrible things. She probably doesn't recognize them as horrible. Right. It, she black as much as Carmen has blacked out things, which is why her story's in bits and pieces. The girlfriend was blacking out things at the same time. It's just I'm not saying she excuses it. She obviously doesn't. But it, it is interesting how she, she brings that in. Basically, it makes this character... It, she's not just a pure villain. You hate just pure villains with no explanation. You know, like, I hate pure villains with no explanation. Mm-hmm. Like in the she last She gives book. this... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, James Patterson, J.D. Parker need to read this. This is how you write a horror. Um, but she gives her a background, just enough that you realize you don't feel sorry for her, but you understand her. So, and that struck me as... as if you're going to use this as your cathartic novel against this horrible person, but you're still making them human. Yeah. So that uh, brings me to the one, one of the quotes that uh, struck me. It's like, it's on page 94 of our book. Um, a reminder, perhaps, that abusers do not need to be and rarely are cackling maniacs. They just need to want something and not have, care how they get it. Mm. So. Boom. 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 That goes into, like, the high control relationship yeah. stuff that mm-hmm. I was learning about. Yeah. Boom. Mm. That's what I also like too. I mean, all of her, most of her chapters are short. You know, you read these four hundred page novels. That some of them are great, and you need all four hundred pages. But some of them are like, she can do it in like a paragraph. Yeah, make you have that same like gut punch that some people take mm-hmm. four hundred pages and never get to. Yeah. So this was not a long book, and I but I read it every single night for like ten nights. I could only do a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. So as much as she could only remember a little bit at a time, I could only handle a little bit at a time. Like, I had to take time to digest it. And mm-hmm. I think she respects re-read. her reader in that sense that she understands that this is difficult. So, A, by bringing in those references that you're going to understand, oh, I've seen that movie, you know, uh-huh. or I've read that book, but also by breaking it up. Oh, the reference about Disney villains as queer. I never thought mm-hmm. about Disney villains representing the queer community in a negative light. And I it blew my mind, and I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that... Yeah. Thank you. <sighs> Disney is a reflect. Uh, you know, I tell people this. I, I, I took a class in college called the History of Latinos in the United States, and I love this professor. He basically was like, "You can do an term paper on anything as long as it fits in with the history of Latinos in the United States." Mm-hmm. So he did the same. I took a class with him that was a, a history of the American worker, and I did the Loray Mill strike as my term paper, which of course was very relevant here in Gaston County. Um, but for that one, I did the history of Latinos in American film. And big big companies like Disney, film is very much a reflection of the culture. People, so it sucks because you go back and you watch your childhood favorites and you're like, oh, dang, that was awful. Now that you know what it, you know, you know those stereotypes, but you also recognize that probably at that time they could get away with that. That that was an appeal to an audience, whether they knew it, but I mean subversive because it was a reflection of what was going on in, when Ursula in 1986 uh, during the AIDS crisis, you know, maybe that was, you know, it, it, what? I know you're just chipping away at all. I'm going through it with Harry Potter and Disney villains now. Like it's yeah. okay. How about it this? needs it's, to happen? It needs to happen. It needs to happen. It doesn't mean that you don't. It's okay that you liked it as a kid. Both of the things can opposite things can be true at the yeah. same time. Same time, yes. But um, but yeah, Disney's a reflection of that culture, and sometimes it's hard to rem- to realize that. Like in the 1940s, 
um, there was this thing called the Three Caballeros, and it was mm-hmm. Brazil and Mexico, and they, everyone was happy because they were allies, and they were providing troops, and they were providing weapons, and they were you know, in support of World War II. That by the 1950s, when you had the Red Scare, and a lot of Latinx individuals were being tar- targeted because a lot of them were in labor movements, which were seen as communists, and a lot of them were communists, all of a sudden they're swarthy again. And they're so you, you literally, it reflects each culture. And so then you go back and you watch Three Caballeros and then you watch something for the 50s and you may not notice the change, but when you when you realize what the change is, you're like, oh, that's horrible. So I think that's the same thing. I'm sorry, I went off on something, didn't I? Y'all both look at me like, shut up. No. <laughs> so my thought is I'm really glad I'm having this conversation with an English major and a history major. <laughs> <laughs> I have no place other than to listen. Go, Anjali, go. Oh, okay, so about the queer villains thing. Yeah. So... She talks about uh, representation a lot and, mm-hmm. like, how I think part of something that stuck with me is, like, the thing about her relationship being poor representation is, like, really heartbreaking. Um, and it's, it's, like, maybe was part of the reason she stayed so quiet so long. And cause she didn't want to reveal that her seemingly ideal queer life was problematic, that she failed at that representation. Oh. So maybe she feels like that queer villain in media, um, that she was just trying to survive. So that then now she has to like reveal that that her 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 relationship was not the utopia that a lot of the community wants it to be. Yeah, because she also talks about how the community didn't accept, wasn't accepting of these things. I mean, yeah. the community itself, like because... that 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 trial one where one of the women who was abused was yeah. in a lesbian relationship, but she wasn't. No, well, not a lot of focus was put on her. And at one point, one of the jury members who was also a lesbian, like, voted her as, um, I think, I don't forget what the trial was about, like, guilty, because she didn't want, she didn't want to believe that her relationship was that bad. Murder. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. murder. Yeah, 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 murder. 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 Yeah. It, because, was, it was self, probably for self-defense. Yeah. 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 yeah, Carmen's next, like, thought about that was, like, the lesbian was trying, the lesbian on... The jury. The jury was trying to protect the lesbian... Yeah, image. Image. Yeah. But it's like, well, a lesbian died. Yeah. And that, that does, and I hate it for when, when that happens for marginalized communities. One of the ones that I think was such a gut punch for a lot of African-Americans was Bill Cosby. Because he was put on the pedestal as this is the ideal of what, you know, what we all strive for. And he was someone that crossed the barrier. You know, people across America loved Bill Cosby. And there's this really great series that came out by W. Kamal Bell called We Need to Talk About Cosby. And a lot of it is African-Americans in the entertainment industry sitting down and having that difficult conversation of we didn't want to believe it because then you're right because of that for the exact same reason that that woman didn't want to believe because it wasn't the idealism that we had portrayed it to be. Yeah. But we had to talk about Cosby. Well, in marginal- Carmen needs to talk about this. In marginalized communities, opposites are not allowed to be true at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that that's just interesting that we read this, but those conversations are going on in the community in those Michael Jackson's another great example of that. There's still people who don't want to believe that something was wrong mm-hmm. because he was the superstar. He was, you know, one of the first black artists to to break all these records and do all these things and and so we just we we don't want to they're afraid that the one bad thing will hurt the image of the entire community. Yeah. And that's a shame. And unfortunately, yeah. if you read comment sections, yeah. It's true. There's a reason they fear that. There's a reason they fear that. So, you know, that's sucks. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you end with that other than it there's a reason why she she tells that story because she understands she wants to talk about 
that stigma within that community because she sees it. Yeah. And she she sees how it affects people's view of how things happen. So, again, another brilliant move in her part as part of that education process to to break that stigma of why marginalized communities often do protect things that they shouldn't protect. Yeah, this conversation is making me make it a 4.5 book. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we're all 4.5. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, like it's yeah. a good book. It's a really it solid is. Book. It's good. It's a good book. All right. Um so what did you think of her use of footnotes? Well, Andrew kind of said earlier that he liked it, and you know what? I did too. Me too. Providing uh, that historical context because yeah. she's this is nonfiction. Yeah. People forget that because she makes it so lyrical and dreamy and all these references to fictional things. It is nonfiction and, and good for her for citing even story even stories like you said, she's she's telling her own story, but then she's citing sources because the metaphor she's using, she's using from something else yeah. and applying it to her. So how how awesome of her to make sure that that that, that she rec- again, another way that she takes her story and puts it into a bigger context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so there's one thing she did with footnotes that I really liked. So on page 66 of my book, there's a footnote. Uh, where is it? Damn, Anjali marked that thing up. I know, I'm so I don't proud even of have her. the book. I had to steal yours to read a promo. <laughs> so the footnote is, um, uh, girl mistakenly elopes with the wrong lover. Hmm. So that was when I realized that she was going to end up with Val because it's when they separate... It's when the woman in the dream house breaks up with Val and um foreshadowing. Yeah, I like that. I like that she used that. these tropes that we're just trying to pay attention to like, oh yeah, it's universality. It's like tropes are tropes for a reason, but no, she used it as like tropes also have happy endings sometimes. And this is part of Her that. Little yeah. Foreshadowing. I like that. Yeah. Kindle said foreshadowing. Yeah. That was exactly foreshadowing. yeah. Angelique, I love you and I love your brain. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um the tropes thing so on page 233, there's this quote that she, I think it's maybe part of how she ends the book. Let me. A uh, dream house as cliche. Hmm. And the quote is this triteness, this predictability has a flattening effect, making singularly boring what is, in fact, a defining and terrible experience. Hmm. So tropes play against her and they work for her. Mm-hmm. So and she just kind of brings it all together. Because opposite things can be true at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Yes. We're going to get Kindle a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Please do. Because, yes. That's my Every life. time you say it, it's like, I told, it's like, it's almost like, I was right. See, it keeps coming up because you're so right. You're so 100% right. Thank you. I don't get that much. <laughs> <laughs> you're also a good mom, okay? Thank you. Because I know that was probably a reference to your children, but no, it's not. No, I'm oh, just okay, the dumb okay. one in my family. Oh, Speaking you're not of the dumb one in your family. Well, you've never really gotten to know my siblings are all very smart. Side note, shout out to my siblings who definitely listen to this. Thank you, Bruce, for telling your friend Lindsay and her mom to listen to this too. <laughs> I love you. I love when uh was it Tinley was like, I'm gonna add Andrew and Angelique on Facebook because I feel like I for for like I know them like you know them now. Yeah. Like, that's what I tell people. We we said in the last one, like people how do you guys are, like how do you act when the when the microphones are off? I'm like like this. Pretty much like this. Yeah. yeah. So you do know us. My sister wants you, Andrew specifically, to do a like little book club with her daughters because she <laughs> thinks that it would be hysterical. <laughs> Warning to Tinley, um, the one thing that does get, well, you actually, it's not really a warning because I've been bleeped out several times now on this, on this podcast, <laughs> but um, it would take a lot of energy. I, it takes a lot of energy to not say four-letter words. So They're big kids. <laughs> they're big kids? Okay, okay. Say not big kids. Or no, ten no. Or eight. 
How old are they now? Ten and eight. Ten, oh, I'm sorry, I missed the ten and oh my god. That's because my voice went out. Sorry. Ten and eight. They're big kids. And again, we've only aged five years. This is so amazing it's how weird. this works out. Yeah. I know. Well, your son turned three yesterday. My I nephew know. turned five yesterday. Can you believe that? God. My dad turned 76 today. If that oh, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Angelique's dad. Yay. We love you. Thank you for, you know, being born and yeah. allowing Angelique to be born. Exactly. Well, happy birthday. Man, there's all these birthdays. This is September's I a know. busy birthday month. I love it. Uh, one of my friend's kids was also born on this day. Oh, wow. I'm not really sure. How, I think he's like nine or ten, maybe 11. I'm Nicole's really. birthday was last week. Nicole, one of our lovely staff members, was last week. I love Nicole. So, yeah, that's really cool. We have This is a big April for us and our family. Do you also have like a month in your family? Yeah. April is ours. We have like 15 birthdays in April, plus tax season, so you're broke by May. February, and then my birthday November. month is actually just the beginning of Kendall's, Kendall's birthday, birthday month. month. <laughs> so, um, so are any final thoughts, anything about the book that you wanted to share that we haven't shared? Go to Andrew first. I'll go through my notes. Andrew. No, I, 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 again, I would recommend this. I think it's one of those you everyone needs to read. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, read the footnotes. That's my mm-hmm. recommendation is read the footnotes. Because even I read the footnotes and I missed Angelique's brilliant foreshadowing uh, uh, reference. So, because so, I'm, I'm not a brilliant English major like she is. So, but um, definitely read the footnotes. And um, I think this is an encouragement for me to, I, I don't read a lot of memoirs. Yeah. Um, there are two, two things that I, do, I don't read a lot of historical fiction. Um, which the book club is helping with that. Mm-hmm. Now the last two I read, I hated, but um, <laughs> but that's okay. It's not. It's not. Um, and then I don't read a lot of memoirs. I listen to a lot of the funny ones. Like I love listening. Like I listen to like the Billy Crystal one and some of the mm-hmm. Amy Poehler and the Mindy Kalings because they're funny and they're not. They're light and all that kind of stuff. But I bet that, that there are other memoirs like this, not necessarily like this, but mm-hmm. that tell a story that maybe I'm not aware of. And yeah. I need to do more of that and understand more people's story. How can I be a good librarian? If I don't understand people's story, yeah, like you know, I think that's a as librarian, I do try to read different books. Like I hate YA, but every once in a while I'll throw in a YA. Like I'm reading the new Becky. It's not new anymore, but Becky Albertalli and Adam Silvera. It's a follow up. It's called Here's to Us, from because now they're college, so really it's more like new adult. But but still, I'm like you need to read different things and understand different stories because otherwise, it helps you better understand and serve these people who come through the door who aren't your story. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go into the 306.76s because that's the call number. Aww. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to find more books that talk about stories that maybe I'm not familiar with and open my eyes. That, that's yeah. what this one taught me to do. It'll make you a better archivist. A better archivist, yes. Is that how you say that word? Mm-hmm. Okay. It'll make you a better one. I like it. So that that's what this is. And, and again, and I mean, I love to read. I, I tell people one of the reasons I don't read historical fiction is I actually like just reading a history like a David McCulloch, may he rest in peace, you know, yeah. a really well-written 940s book versus a historical fiction. Um, so I don't know where I was going with this. Crap. <laughs> You're going to go now to – you were going to go back to this call number because you were talking about 940s? I don't remember now. Oh, it went yeah, away. I, was trying. It was I don't remember. Uh oh, he's running out. I know. It's, I tell you, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so it's fast, y'all. It's, it's just mush. Um <laughs> I really don't know where I was going right. with that. Did you have something? So, okay, she just cut. She's like done with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes. So I guess I just wanted to say I really appreciate how vulnerable she was. Um. I think that this is a tough conversation to have, mm-hmm. and it's 
stinks that she had to go first in order for us to have this conversation. But um, I really appreciate her vulnerability. And Andrew made me think of something else, but I forgot it. So we're going to... We are just, just evolving <laughs> as we sit here. That's just going... Just like... We had some good thoughts, though. I, I want that to be known before we devolved into mush here. We, yeah, well, Angelique's still strong. What do you got? <laughs> oh, no, I'm out, too. <laughs> We've this book in... is emotionally draining. Let's it just say is. that. It's, it's a hard book to read. It's, it's a, a book you book should read, read, but it's a hard book to read. Mm-hmm. So. And now I'm going to go read something light and, like, Aren't fluff. we reading a fluff book next month? Um, we're reading a Colleen Hoover book. Isn't she fluff? I no, not, not, the, uh, from the def- no. not from the synopsis I saw. But it's but it's That's like okay. a fast like people like it's like an addictive type thing, right? Yeah, let's so find like, out. my book club book's called Rock Paper Scissors by Alice Feeney. I think she's a Scottish author, or she's set in Scotland. But it's it's like a thriller killer diller, and it's kind of twisted. One of the ba- ladies in book club was like, "It's twisted," and the way she said it was just. But I also think though it's a palate cleanser because even though it's twisted. It's like something you're just, it's supposed to like be entertaining. Yeah. Slash twisted. Although I don't tend to get t- entertained by twisted stuff, but it tends to move fast. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping it's a, at least a brain. But I need to go read like a, like a really trashy novel, but that has like a, but that's like, cr- like, like cheesy, trashy romance novel or something. Just completely like, yeah. not like a romance novel. Like I'm not going to read a bodice ripper. Although I, I will say, maybe I shouldn't reveal this, but um, Kindle is the best at reading the backs of cheesy. Romantic I was just paperbacks. thinking about that. <laughs> oh my god! We used to have Good so time. much fun of her, like just it, how ridiculous they are. But you know what? Sometimes you need that. Maybe I'll just read the back covers, and and yeah. that'll be enough to cleanse the palate. Here, Angelique so. needs to show you on Instagram. There's a great library displays uh, post where it's someone using um, a filter to change the faces oh. of romance novels. Oh, I love it! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Go check it I, out. I did see a one where it's like um, men with their shirt off, like on the front cover. That was a library display or something like, mm-hmm. like basically yeah. like the many faces of Fabio or something like that. Like all the Fabio books on display. I thought that was funny. So, yep. all right, are we we good? We done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I we did it. We did it. We, did we it. made it through. An hour and eleven minutes. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, audience. You thank you for our... sticking with us. Yes, thank you, thank you. All right. So before we go, I'm going to just do a little promo here. It's a special promotion for this podcast considering the subject matter of the book. Uh, the Hope United Survivor Network is a Gaston County community collaborative focused on providing victims and survivors of domestic violence, human trafficking, sexual assault, and elder abuse a safe and secure place to get the help they need. You can find more information about this collaborative, including contact information and an emergency number, at www.hopeunitedgaston.com. As part of their efforts to support and provide for victims and survivors, Hope United will be holding a fundraising event called Threads of Hope, featuring a presentation and book signing by Stephanie Land, author of Made, Hard Work, Low Pay, and a Mother's Will to Survive. The event will be held at Veronay Vineyards and Winery in Kings Mountain on, on Thursday, November 3rd at 5.30 p.m. This is a paid event. It is a $50 a ticket and you can find more information on the Hope United website. Our Friends of the Library is actually a sponsor for the event. And once again, you can find more info, info at www.hopeunitedgaston.com. I am attending. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a local um, caterer, like uh, out of the Highland community. So, um, And this is her first big event. And apparently the food is fantastic. So yeah, Tara and Molly and the whole team over at Hope Survivor just do an absolutely incredible job and do a really hard job um, so the friends of the library, I can, I can say this because I was a part of 
making that happen. You know, Emily and I were a part of it. We, we met with them and figured out how to get the Friends to sponsor it. We are very proud to sponsor it. A, it's an author event, which the Friends, mm-hmm. of course, love. Um, Stephanie Land, that made, read that book, watch that series on Netflix. Again, very, it's an important story that you need to hear. Um, but we are really excited to sponsor this event. So please come out and see us. I know it's 50 bucks. I know that some people couldn't afford that, and I totally understand. But if you can, this is a really great way to support um and an organization here in Gaston County that is uh, necessary, that is essential, and needs every dime that they can get to help people here. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about the program, and I'm excited to to have an opportunity to support this organization. So, all right, that's it for this month's We're Booked Up. In the Dreamhouse is available both in the library, online at the NC Digital Library, and on the Libby and Hoopla apps. Let us know what you think of the book and what you think of what we think of the book. Just leave a comment at the off-the-shelf blog at gastonlibrary.blogspot.com or at gastonspeaks.podbean.com. Next month's book is November 9 by Colleen Hoover. So look forward to that. Um, all right, we're done. Thank you, Thank guys. you, Angelique. This Thank was, you, Angelique. This was always, yeah, for <laughs> surviving our mush. So. You're welcome. Bye. 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 Bye.